Is there anyone here this morning that uh, this is your first service that you've made during this series of meetings? Could I see your hand? Wow, lots of you. Well, I've been teaching on the fear of God, which that, you know, throws some people off because when they talk about the fear of God, they think of a negative, but this is a positive. There's over 600 times in the Bible that some form of the word fear is used, and over 300 of those, it's positive, where we are commanded to fear the Lord. It talks about Jesus feared the Lord, that we are supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God and in the fear of God. And uh, it's not always a negative. So I spent the first night kind of defining what the fear of the Lord is. It's talking about trusting the Lord, reverencing the Lord, being more concerned about God's opinion than you are men's opinion, being more controlled by God than you are by man. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. Yesterday morning, I talked about that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, and there was a number of scriptures I used on that. And I started talking about that any person who tries to come into wisdom, knowledge, understanding without, first of all, putting God as the source is going to end up with the wrong conclusion. And actually, the scripture says in Psalms 14, 1 and Psalms 53, 1, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And we've got a lot of fools today who are recognized as brilliant people and who are making decisions and policies and running our nation. And according to the Bible, they're absolute fools. And that's not acceptable to say those kind of things, but we need to start saying the truth. I'm not saying it with any malice. I'm not saying that to hurt people. I'm just saying that we are revering people and things that according to the word of God, they're fools. And someday when we stand before God, they will be shown how foolish they are. And every person who revered them and quaked at their presence and and respected them is going to look like a fool for trusting them when the Bible was so clear about things. See, that's not the fear of God. We need to put God as our source. We need to trust Him and reverence Him more and be more put more honor on God than we do on men and their opinions. So I talked about that yesterday morning. We got into a lot of social issues and talked about that. Last night I used Daniel as an example and showed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as examples of people who were in a hostile situation, much worse than we find ourselves in today, and yet they had a fear of God. They reverenced and honored God. They put God first. They refused to bend, to bow, to budge, or to burn. Amen. And because of it, man, they turned an entire kingdom around. Nebuchadnezzar got saved. I don't know if that's the proper word, but he got turned to the Lord in the fourth chapter. He wrote the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. And then Cyrus and Darius, and all of these people got touched because of these people who refused to bow. And we were making the point last night that God is looking for people like that today who will put God first. And I believe, really, all God needs is somebody who just wouldn't be intimidated and wouldn't be fearful and wouldn't waffle, wouldn't change when they get under fire. That'll just speak the truth. And you don't have to be mean about it. You can operate in love, but you got to speak the truth. You know, I said some things about homosexuality. I'm not against homosexuals. I've got friends who've had problems with homosexuality, and I'm still friends with them. And I've dealt with them, and I've prayed with them. I've had some employees with those kind of things, and we didn't fire them. We don't treat people bad. 
But I tell them it's wrong. And you know, we did that here at this meeting. And I had one of our prayer ministers, I was asking him how it was going. And did he get to pray with some people? And he said he had the privilege of having somebody that was struggling with homosexuality come down and get delivered and set free. We aren't against homosexuals. I'm just against their lifestyle. It's a destructive lifestyle and somebody needs to say it. You can say it in compassion, but we need to speak the truth and we need to have a fear of God and not a fear of man. A fear of man brings a snare, but those that trust in the Lord will be safe. So this is what we've been talking about. And look over here in Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to jump right into the middle of some things that he's saying right here. But in Proverbs chapter 8, and in verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Man, those are strong statements. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If you don't hate evil, you do not have a fear of God. You don't truly trust in God. You don't truly honor God. You don't reverence God. Ephesians 5.33 says that the wife is supposed to reverence her husband. That's the same word that was translated fear other places. So a reverence for God means that you hate evil. You know, it's amazing to me how people... I preach on the grace of God constantly because that's what changed my life. And when you talk about the love and the mercy and the grace of God... Some people think that somehow or another this means that God it has no anger, no justice or anything in Him, and they think that if you preach grace, then how could a God of grace and a God of love ever send anyone to hell? And so recently I just started teaching on the subject of hell. And I'm not preaching hellfire and damnation to scare people out of hell, but I'm preaching it to show that this is what the just payment for sin is. And Jesus took that payment for us. And if a person ignores that or rejects it, I guarantee you rejecting Jesus is infinitely worse than being a homosexual. Ignoring Jesus is infinitely worse than murder or adultery or anything. And if you look at it as it's not your individual sins that send you to hell, but it's your rejection of Jesus who paid for all of your sins, who paid for the sins of the entire human race. If we fully understood how holy God is and how terrible sin was and how sin was such a blight, such a separation between us and God, that for Jesus to become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He actually became sin for us. For Jesus to do that, such a huge sacrifice. Man, what a huge sacrifice that was. For God Almighty to become a physical man and suffer for 33 years and then ultimately suffer our sin and do all of this for such a huge price to be paid and then for a person to reject that or ignore it. If you understand things properly, then there isn't a hell deep enough or an eternity long enough to make a person pay for such a terrible sin. That's infinitely worse than anything, any sin that people could ever commit. So anyway, some people, when you talk about the goodness of God, they think, well, how could a good God send a person to hell? It's really not an accurate statement. It's not God sending you to hell. 
The Bible says in uh, Matthew chapter 25 that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God never intended people to go there. And God doesn't send people to hell. I can guarantee you if a person goes to hell, the Lord has put a thousand obstacles in their path. Like mountains and mountains and mountains worth of conviction in times that they've been pricked in their conscience and God has tried to turn them. And they've heard somebody on radio or television or some friend or when they were a kid, they went to church and God has put a million obstacles in their path to keep them from going there. And if they go, it's because they climbed over these things, because they rejected the conviction of the Lord, the drawing and the wooing of the Lord. And they chose to go there. It's not God damning people to hell. It's those people choosing and rejecting every offer of mercy that God has given them. And there is a real place called hell. And people say, how could a good God send people to hell? A good God has put a million obstacles in between us and hell. And if a person goes there, it's because they chose to. They may not have just sat down and said, all right, I don't want heaven, I want hell. But maybe they thought, I'm so good that I don't need Jesus or I just need a little bit of Jesus and I'm really a good person and I go to church and I pay my tithes and I'm so holy, God's going to accept me. So they, they lessened Jesus. They thought, Jesus isn't all I need. I'm so good, I only need a little bit of Jesus. This person over here needs a lot of Jesus, but I'm really good. Man, that's the worst sin of them all. The sin of self-righteousness, the sin of putting yourself equal to Jesus and thinking that you don't need a Savior is terrible. And there's a lot of moral, religious people who will split, split hell wide open because their faith is in themselves and in their own goodness and not in Jesus as their Savior. So every time I talk about all of this goodness of God, which I believe God is an awesome God, and I believe He's done this, people think, well, how could a good God ever do this? And they, they just don't think that you should hate anything. If you truly love a person, you can't help but hate whatever is destroying that person. I've tried to make this point over and over. It says over in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, You shall not hate your neighbor in your heart, but you shall in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. If you don't rebuke a person and tell them the truth when you see them having some destructive behavior... You hate that person. Most people don't think of it that way, but that's really what it is. When we refuse to tell a person the truth because we're afraid that this might offend them, then the truth is you love yourself more than you love that person. And rather than run the risk of having somebody dislike you, you will let them go ahead and do something that's destructive to them. That's not the truth. That's not love. You know, I was going home one time uh, up in Colorado on these mountain roads. They were steep curves like this, and it was foggy and rainy. And uh, I came, I was going up, and it was probably 55 or something was the speed limit. And there was a person that passed me going about 60 or 65. And this was in fog. And I mean, they just zoomed around me. And uh, not very far in front of me, I saw their brake lights come on in the car jerk to the side and I knew something had happened. So I put on the brakes and I came to rest right beside this car. And this, this, uh, there was a horse out on the road and he had hit this horse 
and it hit right in the driver's uh, side of the windshield and this horse just unloaded everything that was in it right in this guy's face. He was sitting there in a whole deal of horse poop and blood all over and he had hit this horse and, and so he had knocked over into the right lane. It was two lanes, one direction going up the mountain and uh, he was in that right lane blocking the lane and the horse was blocking the other lane. He had hit it and spun the horse around and this horse couldn't get up. And it was laying there trying to get up and I got out to see if I could help and I was standing there and a Suburban came around the corner about 60 miles an hour and this horse had a lay, it was trying to get up and this Suburban came and it ran right up that leg of that horse and just decapitated it. It was just gone. And this Suburban went in the air about, I don't know, five or six feet high and 20 feet or more in the air and hit and rolled around. I ran up there and this woman had knocked a hole in the roof. Her head went through the roof of that Suburban and it just was, you could see her skull. Uh, and anyway, it was a bad deal and it was raining and it was uh, foggy and it was right after a curve. And so you know what I did? I got out and for the next 30 minutes, I ran up the road and I started jumping out in front of cars. And stopping, and I mean, cars were weaving all over that road, and some of them pulled over on the side of the road and cussed me out, and I had people shooting me the finger and yelling at things at me, you idiot, get out of the road. And people were just blasting me, and then they'd go on around the corner and see that there was a horse and a Suburban and a car, and they'd all of a sudden realize I saved their life. There would have been a bunch of people die. At night, and I spent over 30 minutes jumping in front of cars and having people yell at me and criticize me. And then when they get around the corner, they see that there was a reason for what I was doing. And you know what? I could have sat there and said, well, I don't want people to yell at me. And I don't want people to think bad at me. And I'm just not going to do anything. And I could have watched car after car after car pile up. And who knows what would have happened. You know, in a very real sense, that's what's happening. When you know the truth... And a person isn't walking in the truth and they're doing something that's destructive. And you sit there and say, but I I just might offend them. The bottom line is you love yourself more than you love that person. You love that. You love yourself more than you love God. Again, look, uh, Leviticus 19, 17. You shall not, you shall not hate your neighbor in your heart, but you shall under any wise, That means in any circumstance, rebuke him and not suffer sin upon him. If you really had a fear of God, an honor, a trust, a reverence for God, you'd tell people the truth. Don't come to me and ask me your, ask me my opinion if you don't want the truth. (laughs) I've had some people this week come up and ask for back problems to be prayed for. And I said, well, God loves you, but you know what? You're going to have to lose 150 pounds or you're never going to have, you're never going to get free of that back problem. I didn't say it because I don't love that person. I love them. I'm telling them the truth. I had a person come up last night and want to get free from smoking. And I was telling them, I said, you know, God loves you. You don't go to hell for smoking. You smell like you've been there, but you don't go to hell for smoking. But I told them the truth. Every cigarette takes like seven minutes off of your life. If you smoke 30 cigarettes a day, man, you've just taken hours off of your life every single day. And I just told them the truth. I'm not mad at them. I'm not, that's not condemning. 
I'm saying all of this is because, see, some people, when you talk about the grace of God, they think, well, then that just means that you never tell a person that there's anything wrong. You don't have any opinion. You just let people live in sin. God loves you regardless of what sin you're living in. He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make Him love you more. You can't make Him love you less. But God loves you so much, He doesn't want you to keep living in that sin because it's destroying your life. And He will tell you the truth. And if you are an accurate representation for God, you will tell people that God loves them. He's not mad. I told you, we built a house for a prostitute to help that woman get off the street. We didn't condemn her. We built her a house. She's better off than most people in her community. I'm not against people, but we tell them the truth and tell them that that's sin and tell them that you don't need to live that way because it's destroying your life. If you truly fear God, you hate evil. There is a place for hate. If I truly love my wife, then if somebody tried to come and abuse her, rape her, attack her, steal from her, I guarantee you I couldn't sit here and say, well, I just am so in love, I would never hurt anybody. I tell you what, if you love a person, you have to hate whatever is trying to hurt that person and come against them. And for a person to say, oh, I'm just full of the love of God and I'd never say anything to anybody and I'd never let anybody know that I disapproved of anything that they were doing. You aren't in God's kind of love. Jesus made a whip. Look at this over in John chapter 2. You know, Jesus did this twice. You have to look at the Bible chronologically to understand this, but Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry. In John chapter 2 is his very first time in Jerusalem after the baptism by John, and he drove the money changers out of the temple. And then in Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, his last week, he went back into Jerusalem and did this again. You know what? Even Jesus had to preach the same message over. Jesus had to repeat things. He had to do the same thing over and over again. But here in in John chapter 2, in verse 13, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove all drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. This is Jesus. The Bible says that God is love. Jesus is love. And Jesus made a core, uh, made a whip out of small cords. In other words, there was multiple uh, cords and he was whipping people and beating them. This is the one who loves us and gave his life for us. And some people think, well, that's hypocritical or it's contrary. That is actually, that's perfectly consistent. If you love God, if you truly have a fear of God, if you reverence God, you hate anything that is contrary to that. 
And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is one of the reasons that so many people aren't experiencing the things that God has prepared for them is because we do not have a fear of God that causes us to hate evil. Many of us have gotten to the point that we can tolerate it. Many of us go to the movie and pay money to watch people commit adultery, to lie, to steal, to use profanity and all of these things that are against the very nature and the core of God. To see, see stories where people are glorified, things that God hates. You use it for entertainment. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. We have become complacent. We don't hate evil. We've gotten to where we tolerate things. And you know, religion is a big part of this. Religion has taught us that you're just supposed to roll with the punches and you're supposed to glorify God in every situation. And it is true that we're supposed to praise God in spite of what's happening in our life. But there is this tension. There needs to be this balance between you love God. I taught on this last night. That even if he doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, we're still not going to bow to you. You have to get to a place to where I don't care what the consequences are. I am going to put God first and I will serve God with my whole heart. And you have to have that. But on the other hand, you have to get to a place where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I am not going to put up with this. And I refuse to sit here and continue to live in this wheelchair, continue to live with less than what God has purchased for me. I am not content to be poor. Jesus became poor, so I through his poverty might be made rich. And you have to get, you have to get dissatisfied with being without. You know, Pastor Bob, I've used this saying of his and I've applied it in a hundred different ways. But he, he said one time that as long as you can stand being sick, I think it was, or poor or something, you will. And I have adapted that and applied it to anything. As long as you can tolerate your situation the way it is, then you will. But when you get to a place where I've had it, I draw a line right here and I'm not going any further. The devil has pushed me as far as he's going to push me and I am not going to live like this. I refuse to live like this. I would rather die than to live like this. You know, Pastor Bob called out a man that was at our minister's conference back in October. And I forget that man's name, but the one that had been in the bed for 12 years. Do you remember him? And Pastor, what was his name? Pastor Jonathan. But anyway, he had been in bed for 12 years and used a wheelchair and things like this. I forget exactly what the problem was, but uh, Pastor Bob had him come up and give his testimony. And so after it was over, I went up and I talked to him and I said, so how did all of this happen? How did you finally receive your healing? How did this come to pass? And he shared a couple of things, but basically the number one thing, he said he was so sick, he'd been laying in bed, couldn't get out. For 12 years, he was an invalid. And his wife and girls were going to a birthday party. And they told him goodbye because he couldn't go. So they left to go to the birthday party. And he said, I got so mad that my whole life was being ruined. My family was going off to a birthday party without me. And he said, I just got mad and said, I will not live this way. And he pulled himself up, got in a wheelchair 
And he said, I'm going to stand. And he said, I knew I'd fall. But he says, I'd rather die trying than sitting still any longer. And he said for 30 days, he got himself up and stood and fell flat on his face every day for 30 days. Drug himself out of the wheelchair, stood and fell flat of his face every day for 30 days. And then on the 31st day, he was able to stand. And then it started getting a little bit better. And in six months time, he was totally walking and became a pastor of a church and is just healthy and glorifying and praising God. But I tell you, there's a lot of people that are still in the wheelchair because they can stand it. They've adjusted. They've embraced it. They don't like it. They pray for something different. But you know what? They can make it. One of the reasons you see people in foreign countries get healed easier than you do in the United States is because the United States has made it easier for people with handicaps and problems. We have wheelchair ramps. We have handicap access. We give money, welfare to people who can't make it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things, but I'm saying we've made it easier. But in foreign countries, you either produce or you just die. They don't have the same social systems and you have to sit there and you're reduced to being a beggar and absolutely humiliated. And a lot of the reason why you see people get healed easier in a third world country is because of the desperation factor because they just have come to a place I cannot live this way I will not live this way and there is something powerful about a temper and just hating evil and saying I will not live like this and we've got way too many passive Christians who have adapted But you know, Jesus made a cat of nine tails and drove the money changers out of the temple. That was love. They were desecrating his father's house. That's love. A temper is not evil. Now the way that it's used is primarily evil. A temper wasn't intended for people. It was intended for sickness and for poverty and for ungodliness, to hate evil. And look at the things that it said over here in Proverbs chapter 8. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then it says pride, arrogancy, the evil way, the forward mouth do I hate. It didn't just mention homosexuality and adultery and murder, all those things we should hate. But pride, you should hate pride. And yet we've got a culture that I am the greatest, Muhammad Ali. And people that promote themselves and pride is now glorified. They're the ones that get on the pictures, on the magazines. They're the ones who get all of the acclaim and stuff. Did you know what you ought to hate? Pride. You ought to hate arrogance. And it's just, I mean, it's rampant in our society. I don't hate people, but I hate a lot of the modern pop culture and the things that they do and the way that they glorify people and the way that they talk about people. And I can guarantee you when we stand before God and we see the way God valued things, it's going to be a lot different than what's done in this society. A lot different. 
the people who get hundreds of millions of dollars for kicking a ball or throwing a ball or singing or dancing or committing sex live on television and they get all of this acclaim for doing this, I guarantee you when they stand before God, it's going to be a little bit different evaluation. And if you really have the fear of God, if you value and honor and revere God, then you shouldn't revere all of these people. The vast majority of our movie stars, you could put their integrity into a thimble and it would nearly be empty. You could shake it around in there. They're ungodly people. I'm not against them. I pray that they come to know the Lord. I'm not mad at any person, but I hate the fact that people with zero integrity are the ones that they show all of these pictures and this person, oh, look how they were dressed at this awards. Who gives a rip? Did you hear about so-and-so broke up with this person and that? And who cares? I can guarantee you there's people right in this room that you are just caught up in all of that and you're excited about things that are an abomination to God. If you really fear God, you would hate evil. You don't hate the people who do evil, but you hate that evil because you recognize how destructive it is and how it destroys lives. Anger is a godly thing. God created you with an ability to have anger. And some people have never seen this. They think, well, it's wrong to get mad. I should never get mad. This right here says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Look over in Romans chapter 12 at this verse. This is the New Testament counterpart to that. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation means hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Love in truth abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. You're a hypocrite. I'm saying this in love. But you are a hypocrite if you say, oh, I love God. And then you could sit there and watch somebody commit adultery, lie, steal, murder, and applaud it. And use that for entertainment and go out and say, wasn't that wonderful? You're a hypocrite. Your love is with dissimulation. And this is one reason that the love of God isn't impacting our life more. is because we say that we love God and we say that we receive the love and then we sit here and enjoy the things that God hates. Something's wrong with this picture. If you truly have a fear of God, you would hate evil. You would hate to see people sick. And again, religion is so skewed, this thing, because religion comes along and said, oh, God loves you so much that God put this sickness on you to teach you something. That God is letting you suffer because this is breaking you and making you better. So religion has encouraged people to accept sickness and accept problems and accept failure. I tell you, you need to get to a place where you hate sickness, you hate failure, you hate poverty, you hate depression. You hate things that God hates. And if you would get to where you won't tolerate it anymore, you wouldn't tolerate it. But many of us have just accepted it. Man, I don't like it. You know, when Jamie and I got married, 
1972, and I think it was in 1973, not many months after we were married, something happened and I got sick and I threw up. And you know what? I hate throwing up. <laughs> Jamie, if she feels bad, will stick her finger down her throat to make herself throw up and get it over with. But not me. I said, I hate it. And after she saw me throw up one time, she says, now I know why you don't do it. I mean, I'm one of these toilet huggers. It just, it's ugly. It's bad. And anyway, that was in 1973 is the last time I've thrown up. And I don't throw up. I'd die before I'd throw up. I do not go there. I hate it. And I've had a couple of times where I've had some food poison or something and I felt like I was going through, man, I get up and I get motivated and I go to pray and then I get healed in a hurry. I do not throw up. I don't go there because I will not tolerate it. I hate that and I don't do it. And other people, you don't feel that way. So guess what? You do. But I guarantee you, I just don't go there. I don't believe in getting sick. I don't like being sick. I don't tolerate sickness. If somebody talks about sickness around me, I don't do it. I was out with somebody and they said something about when I was overseas, don't you ever have anything come against you? I said, no, I don't believe in getting sick. (laughs) And they just looked at me like, you mean you have any control over this? I said, absolutely. I don't get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. I don't put up with the flu. I don't put up with headaches. It's been over 43 years since I've had a headache. I don't get colds. I don't get the flu. I don't have aches and pains, except if I overwork and do something like that, I might get sore. But I don't get sick. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And many of you, you can't do that. You have a tolerance for it. You have accepted it. You think that every time that a certain season comes around, you have to have allergies and stuff, and you've accepted it, and that's the reason you got it. You need to get to where you hate this and say, I will not be this way. I am not going to be poor. I am not going to be miserable. I will not be depressed. And you just refuse and you stir yourself up. And if you start feeling depressed, you build yourself up in the Lord. The Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up on your most holy faith. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, you've got zero excuse for being depressed. You speak in tongues, you flip a switch and turn on this power. And I just have zero tolerance for being depressed because I know that on the inside of me, I can keep myself built up. And it says, keep yourself in the love of the Lord. In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. I don't just say, Oh God, I don't feel your love. Would you please love me? I pray in tongues and keep myself in the love of God. I build myself up and I do not tolerate being depressed and discouraged. It's been 43 years since I've been depressed. I don't believe in being depressed. I will not be depressed. Some of you think you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living. (laughs) Amen. We are commanded to love in honesty and integrity, not in hypocrisy. We are to abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. 
And I tell you, every time you sit there and embrace something that is ungodly, it confuses your heart. You need to get to where you're consistent. You need to get to where you hate what God hates and you love what God loves. Again, don't hate the people. You don't have to be mean to individuals, but you ought to hate things that are destroying people's lives. You know, Smith Wigglesworth saw great miracles happen. I've read a lot of his books. And Smith was mean. One of the things, one of the sayings about Smith was they said he's mean. He's a mean, angry person. His own son-in-law said that about him. And Smith would do things. Like he had a baby one time that had a swollen head, one of these water on the brain things. And it was a little baby, less than a year old. And they brought that up to Smith. And he was on a high platform. And he got this baby and kicked it off of the stage into the front row. An infant kicked it. And when it landed on the front row in somebody's arms, it was well. He would take people and punch them and hit them and do things like that. And people said, Smith, why are you so angry? Why do you do this? He says, I'm not mad at that person. I'm after the devil. I can't help it if their body gets in the way. Amen. And you can say what you want to, but Smith Wigglesworth saw more people healed than most of us do. And it was because he hated sickness. I don't know if I'm getting this across to you or not, but there's, there's people that get mad at their mate and mad at their dog and mad at this and mad at the traffic, and yet you don't hate sickness. You can tolerate it. It's not life-threatening. It's inconvenient. You know, this is why arthritis is so hard to get rid of. Arthritis is an easy demon. It's not a strong demon. I've seen thousands of people healed of arthritis. But arthritis comes on you just one little bit at a time. You don't all of a sudden, boom, just get stoved up with arthritis. But you get it in one joint and people think, oh, well, you know, I'm getting older. And they accept that. And then they accept it in the next. And they accept, and over two, three, four, five years, they've just tolerated it bit by bit. It's not hard to get rid of. It's just persistent and people have tolerated it and they will not put up with it. But if you got angry, I've had pains come in my thumb to where my thumb starts hurting and I say, I refuse this. I'm not having this stuff. And I get mad and fight against it. And because of it, I don't have an ache or a pain anywhere in my body. I fight against it. I won't allow sickness and disease. And yet most people will tolerate it. They think after all, I'm only human. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of me is full of God. Deuteronomy chapter 34, I believe it's verse 7. I'm not sure the exact reference. But it's talking about Moses. It says he was 120 years old. And uh, when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. If that happened under the old covenant, a person who didn't have what you and I have, well, then why do you tolerate poor eyesight? Why do you tolerate aches and pains? Why do you tolerate getting slow and old and decrepit? You don't have to be that way. Well, that's the way everybody is. Here's a woman sitting right here who's 97 years old. Stand up and show them what a 97-year-old that is healthy and loves God looks like. Amen?
Isn't that awesome? 97 years old. Right over here was a man who was 90 years old, still preaching the gospel and healthy and looking good. Why do we look at all of the decrepit people and think that that's the way it has to be? Why don't we look at eight? Why don't we look at uh, Moses and say, man, if he was 120 years old and still had good eyesight and was strong, well then praise God. If he can do it, I can do it. But we tolerate it. And you start when you turn 40, you get black balloons and you start confessing, I'm over the hill and and you start planning on it and you start making jokes about it and talking about it. And then you wonder why things are going downhill. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we got things all wrong. We tolerate things that God doesn't want us to tolerate. And then we get mad at things that you shouldn't be mad about. Things that you have no control over, the weather or the traffic or whatever, and you get upset because it's, you're just so selfish and so self-focused. But man, we ought to love God and hate evil, hate anything that Jesus redeemed us from. We ought to hate strife. We ought to hate pride. We ought to hate arrogance. We shouldn't look at people that are just completely opposites of what God intended man to be and admire them and want to be like them. That's wrong. That's just wrong. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We need to hate evil. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Man, I'm running out of time, and I got a lot more things I was wanting to say, but let me just say this stuff quickly. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You know, I've heard this taught my entire life, that God knows we're just human, and he knows you can't really control your temper. And so he gives you the, you know, it's okay if you get angry during the day. Just make sure that you get it confessed every night before you go to bed. Don't go to bed with anger in your heart. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That is not what this is talking about. It's not okay to lose your temper as long as the sun's up. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about be angry. It's a command without sinning. There is a righteous type of anger. There is a holy, godly anger that Jesus expressed when he made a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple. There is a right use of temper. God gave everybody a temper. It was not intended to be used for people. It was not intended to be used in a selfish way but it was intended for godly things so that if you see somebody being abused, something rises up on the inside of you and you want to defend that person. You hate evil. You hate injustice. God gave you a temper so that you could resist the devil and he would flee from you. And yet we've got Christians that are so passive, they just, it's, they come and it's pathetic, like, oh God, would you please heal me and things? And that's not going to get you well. You need to get angry. You need to get angry and say, I've just had as much of this as I'm going to take. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to live this way. I refuse to be like this. 
People think, well, if I tried to stand up, I'd fall flat on my face, just like this man. Who cares? Fall flat on your face. I'd rather die, believe in God, than to live and be miserable. Man, I'd rather stand up and go for it. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down in your wrath. That means don't ever put this to sleep. Don't ever let it become passive. Don't ever let yourself become complacent. Keep yourself stirred up. If you don't stir yourself up, you're going to settle to the bottom. You got to stir yourself up. You got to build yourself up. You got to do something. Be angry in a godly way, a righteous anger. Don't ever let it go to bed. Keep yourself stirred up and angry at the devil and angry at the things that Satan is trying to do. If you do that, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. Saying, dear devil, please leave me alone is not resisting the devil. And saying, oh God, would you please get the devil off my back is not resisting the devil. You know, this same man, Smith Wigglesworth, was standing at a bus stop one time in England. And there was a woman with a little dog. And this little dog was just sitting there wagging its tail. And, and the, this elderly lady was trying to get her dog to go home. And she says, now go home. The bus is coming. And this little dog just wagged its tail. And, and uh, then she tried again, go home. And this dog just wagged its tail. And here comes the bus around the corner. And she says, here comes the bus. Now go home. And this dog just wagging its tail and being real friendly. And finally, the bus pulls right up. And she just goes, get home like that. And boom, that dog's gone. Amen. <laughs> And Smith turned around and says, that's the way you got to be with the devil. There are some I'm saying, dear devil, please leave me alone. Oh God, would you please heal me? Man, God gave you a temper. Get angry. You can cuss the devil out. You can tell him where to go and it's perfectly all right. Just use all of your profanity, anything you want to say. You can get mad at the devil. You need to get mad at the devil. You need to say, I'm through with this stuff. I could give you so many testimonies of times that I have just gotten mad. I remember that one of the very first times Jamie and I were trying to believe for prosperity and we were struggling and we had this car we were trying to sell. And uh, I started out at $350, came down to $250. The Lord told me that's how we were going to get our rent paid. It was a $100 rent. And... Um, we went on for three and a half weeks and it just wouldn't sell. People would come look at it, but it was a dog. It was really bad. <laughs> and once they'd see it, nobody wanted it. So anyway, we were in a desperate situation. They were about to kick us out of our house and, and uh, it was just bad. And I went down to the church building and I started praying. And as I was praying in tongues, you know what? There was just a anger rose up on the inside of me. I got mad. I actually physically was fighting the devil, which I don't know if that was just me or if it was something going on in the spiritual room, but I was screaming and yelling, kicking the walls. I got mad that this wasn't God. It wasn't right for me to be living like that and nearly starving to death and going through things. And I got mad and I lost my temper. I was screaming. I was yelling. And I mean, something happened in the spiritual realm and all of a sudden I knew that I knew and I knew that that car was sold. Whatever the problem was, was over. 
And I got so excited, I got in the car and headed home to tell Jamie. I said, man, the car is sold. And before I could even tell her, she met me and she says, a guy just called, he's going back up to the church and he's going to be there in five minutes. He's got the cash and he wants to buy the car. I didn't even get to tell her that the car was sold. (laughs) So I went back down there and this guy said, here's the money. Can I have the car? And I said, well, let me tell you about it. And I started telling about everything that was wrong. You can see the floor. I mean, you could see the street through the floor. The floor was gone. And the U-joints were so bad, that thing would just like this. And it was a Chevy Bel Air. And the keys would come out of the ignition. And if you weren't quick, they'd fall through the hole. (laughs) And it burned a quart of oil every 50 miles. You had to have a whole case of oil in the back seat to go anywhere. And if you turned on the heater, the water poured out on the passenger's feet and... On and on. And I told this guy all of these things. And he said, I don't care. And finally I said, well, you got to drive it around the block. So we drove around the block, took off in a big old pile of smoke and we drove around the block, came back and he says, could I please have the car now? And I said, well, sure. So he gave me the money and he says, you know, it was funny, but three weeks ago, the first time I saw you put an ad on that car in the window for $350, I told my wife that was my car. He says, but she was sick and tired of me having all these junk cars sitting around. He says, all I want is parts out of it. I don't want the car. I'm just going to cannibalize it and use it for parts. And he says, for three weeks, I've been trying to get it. And my wife have argued over this every single day. And he, it was a Saturday. And he said, I was sitting there watching football on the television. And she just walked in as I was watching football and threw the money in my lap. And says, all right, go get your car. That's what I was wrestling with was that woman. Amen. <laughs> And I got mad, and when I got mad and finally broke that spiritual thing, then the thing was released. And after it all happened, I thought, why did I wait three weeks to do this? Would to God that we could get to a place that you don't have to get desperate and where you're about to lose everything before you finally get angry. You need to be angry and not sin and don't ever let your anger go down on the devil. You ought to hate that which is evil. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the fear of the Lord is to hate that which is evil. And if you would get angry and go to resisting the devil, he'll flee from you. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and says, oh, I've prayed and I've done all of this. And I said, well, it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I'm trying to encourage him. Oh, I've resisted the devil and he didn't flee. And so what am I supposed to do now? Here's your word. Here's God's word. Which do I go with? Do I sit there and say, oh, well, I understand. Sometimes you resist the devil and it doesn't work. The moment I say something like that, I'm not, I'm not going to be any good to you because I don't believe the word of God anymore. So maybe some of you are saying, well, I've prayed not, but you haven't resisted the devil or he'll flee from you. Oh, I have said, devil, leave me alone. But that's, you got to get angry. And I know you can get angry. I know some of you get angry on a regular basis. It's just at your mate instead of at the devil. You can get angry. You can be mad. You need to stir yourself up. You need to practice being angry. And I guarantee you, when you get that attitude, the devil will run from you. The devil is at heart a coward. And the only reason he fights you is because he can see that you've got quit in you. That you will only go to a certain degree. 
But when he sees that you've had it and that you're going to stand, and if it means even if I, even if God doesn't deliver me, I still won't bow. I still will not worship your image. When you get that attitude, I guarantee you the devil will flee from you. I pray, I've prayed for a dozen people this last couple of days who had pain instantly leave them. And I tell them, I said, if you, if you have another pain, it doesn't mean that you weren't healed or it doesn't mean that the sickness has come back. It's the devil knocking at the door, seeing if you'll let him back in. He knows I mean what I say. He's not sure you believe it. So he'll come and he'll hit you with the pain and all you got to do is just say no in the name of Jesus and pray and speak over it the way I did and it'll work for you. But you know, that's the reason that lots of people, when I pray for them, their pain leaves and stuff, but it's because I believe what I'm saying and I do get mad at the devil. And the devil's a coward. The devil will not fight me because I'll win through the Lord's strength. You need to get angry. There's some of you that don't even get mad at the devil. You'll get mad at people. You'll get mad at all kinds of things, but you can't get mad at the devil. I tell you, that's a perversion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Hate is a godly trait if it's not directed at people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You need to get angry at the devil. You need to stir yourself up. And I promise you, the Bible says, James 4, 7, you resist the devil, he will flee from you. If he hasn't fled from you, you aren't resisting. You might be begging, you might be pleading, you may be desiring, you may be pitiful, you may be in need, you may be heartbroken, you might be a lot of things, but you aren't resisting the devil or he'll flee from you. That's what the Bible says. And sometimes it takes a while to get yourself stirred up. It may take you three weeks to get to where you no longer sit there and use adultery and fornication and lust to entertain yourself and get to where you hate that stuff. It might take you a while to renew yourself and get to where you love good and hate evil. But I guarantee you it's well worth the effort. The fear of God is to hate evil. And if you don't hate evil, you don't fear God. You do not honor God. You are not truly trusting in God. As long as you can tolerate things that God doesn't tolerate, you don't fear God. God loves you, but you don't fear Him. I'm telling you, this is important. And there is a righteous side. There's just like a coin. A coin has two sides, a head and a tail. If you are going to truly love God, then you have to hate evil. You have to abhor evil. You have to recognize evil for what it is and refuse to tolerate it. And if you would do that, I guarantee you, you'd change things. Satan cannot do to you what he's doing without your consent and cooperation. When you quit consenting and cooperating with the devil and you fight with everything you've got within you, I mean to the dead, you will see Satan flee. Amen or oh me.
That's tight, but it's right. I tell you what, we need to get to where we just refuse this stuff. And it's hard sometimes because you spent 40 years yielding to it. There's many people that see themselves sick, see themselves poor, see themselves bitter, see themselves this way. And it's the hardest thing you'll ever do is get to where you have God's perspective on things. But the reason I'm sharing this is because, again, we have such a skewed perspective. We think it's godly to tolerate hurt and pain and all of this stuff and that this is God. And it's not. God wants you to live in victory and you need to get to where you hate all of these things that Satan is trying to do and you hate this junk that our society is embracing and that Christians are embracing and using for entertainment. We need to get to where we hate that stuff and you can't tolerate it. Amen? And if you do that, I tell you, it releases the power of God in your life. Some of us are so clogged up with all of the wrong attitudes and values that it just hinders the flow of God's power through us. It takes effort, but it's well worth the effort. So we need to learn to hate evil. That is the fear of the Lord. Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you, Father, for the truth of this word. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to help us properly apply this to each one of our lives, to our situations, to the things that Satan is using to destroy our life that we have just tolerated and put up with. Father, I thank you that there is a holy dissatisfaction rising on the inside of people. I thank you that this capacity for anger will be redirected away from people and to the devil, to the demonic things behind the actions of people, and that we will hate what sin and ungodliness is doing to us and to other people, and we will hate it and resist it and refuse to be that way, that we won't compromise. Father, we'll stand our ground, that we'll honor you more than we honor people, that we will not be afraid of men, but we will fear God. Father, I thank you for doing that. And we agree and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Boy, there's just so much that I believe God is ministering to people. I ask you to take this message and Let God apply it directly to you because I think there are some things in your life you ought to get angry at. You ought to get to the place, I'm not living like this anymore. I won't do it. Amen. That's good. Is there anybody here today who's not born again? You know what? You ought not to tolerate.